there. Okay. This is a very vulnerable time because I only have a few weeks left with you. I know this is la Stephanie's last Sunday here. Um, well, I'll take her down to Florida on Monday, but I'll be back for the 10th and the 17th. But it's a very vulnerable time because I could just about say anything. Okay, at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I was like, I was a little bit like this when um, somebody said, wow, man, you're, you're really changed in your preaching. And this, this happened um, when our oldest daughter, Anna, uh, was headed off to college, first one off to college, you know, and she's been setting under my teaching, preaching for 18 years. And I was like, yeah, I got to get in everything possible before she leaves, you know, kind of thing. So sometimes I feel like that. Um, um, and one other, oh, yeah, one other thing. I was so, again, so thankful for Pastor Robert um, filling the pulpit last Sunday and giving us words from God's word. And I think the thing that I most appreciated uh, in that sermon was that um, it, it's God's hand. God is in control. God's been in control. That's what I've told the search team and the elders many times is we're looking for God's hand. And when God shows his hand and God shows the direction we're going and everything, then, then it's easy for us to make the decisions that we need to make because we see him at work. And, and Pastor Robert uh, brought that out. And it made me think of this old song, because uh, I sing in the sermon, right, Pastor Robert? I sing in the sermon. So uh, old George Beverly Shea sang this one. Uh, God is still on the throne, and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Now, how many have heard that song before? Yeah, a few hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just shows my age. We are in the book of Galatians. We get to finish the book of Galatians today. And I am spent so thankful to go through this. This is 15 sermons, 15 weeks of going through this book called Galatians. Six chapters. First two chapters about the man, Paul. Second, chapters three and four about the message, the gospels. Chapters five and six about our manner of life, our manner of life. Paul's soapbox, as he stands upon it, is Christ alone. Christ alone. And so now he gives us his final words. And final words are always important words. And so uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, let me just read them again. See what large letters I use to write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Uh, what counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble 
For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we've read your word this morning, your Holy Spirit to guide us through these words. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity that we have had together as a body of believers to understand better um, Paul's message to the Galatians and also how this applies to our lives today, Lord. And we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. If we go back to verse 11. See what large letters I use to, as I write to you with my own hand. Um, maybe this is Paul's possible eye problem. It's referred to a few times in the scriptures that maybe he had an eye illness um, that, that, that he wrote so large uh, at this point. Maybe. Uh, sometimes when we look at that, even back in chapter 4, verse 15, when he says to the Galatian church Christians, what has happened to your joy, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So why do you pick that one? Well, maybe he had something wrong with his eyes, and they had such uh, love for Paul that they wanted to give him their eyes so he could see better. Uh, we also see that in the book of Romans when Paul, after eight chapters, he gets to chapter number nine, and he has this same kind of concept when he says, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish, here it is, for I wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my race, the people of Israel. He said, man, if there was a way that I could be cursed and you not cursed, I would put myself in that place. He knows he can't, um, but, but that kind of concept there. So maybe, maybe this is Paul's eye problem, but, but we also see this, that Paul has made a practice of doing this when he writes these letters to these churches. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, he ends that one with, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. So he makes sure that he writes it in his own hands. And if, if you've been around somebody long enough and you've been around them and, and gotten letters from them or things like that, Soon you distinguish their handwriting. Yeah, that, that's his handwriting. I've seen that handwriting before. And so that's what Paul's doing here. He wants them to make sure that they know that at least even this portion is from him. Um, let me, I put another one up there, Colossians 4.18. So you see that he does this, the very last verse. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Grace be with you. So if he wrote the whole letter in his own hand, or if he only wrote the greeting in his own hand, we know in Romans 16.22 that he at times dictated his letters where someone else was writing down what he was saying kind of thing. But at least at this point, he, he wants them to know that this is me, Paul, the one who came to Galatia, the one who brought you the gospel, the one that where you turned to faith in Jesus Christ and started to group up into these local churches in the area of Galatia. Yeah, it's me. It's me who has written this. 
Um, and I put down there the importance of the, the personal touch. That is so important. That's so important. It's so important in the life of a church, in the body of Christ, that there's a personal touch. The pastor can be, you know, just so great, phenomenal, as I have been. See, see, that's how that comes out. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie's down here. Yeah, Stephanie's move along, move along. Uh, kind of. But but really what holds people together is that personal touch from each other. From each other. I had a I had a situation this morning in the lobby. You know, now I'm not gonna mention names now. In the lobby, where someone gave a personal touch to me uh, through a confession, through a confession. That I mean, man, I will never forget. I will never forget that that personal touch. And as a church, that's that's the greatest thing. Some people think, you know, if you're going to have something going on at the church or something like that, something important, if we can, if we can put it on Facebook, if we can put it on the marquee, if we can put it in the paper, and all those things are really good. But the the thing that really brings people in is when one person invites another person. That that personal touch. So Paul makes sure to do that here. Now we go to verse 12. In verse 12 and 13, he wants to make the distinction between himself and these others that have come in behind him. If we go all the way back to the beginning, he tells them that your salvation is in Christ alone. After he tells them that, after he leaves, there's others that come in behind him called Judaizers that say, well, it's kind of right, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to become a Jew before you become a Christian kind of thing. And so he's been saying, no, that's not right. It's only by Christ alone. So here in these two verses, he's going to give the difference again. The difference between Paul and his false teachers. And we go back to the passage, verse 12. Those who want you to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's saying the motive, their motive for doing this, their motive for their message was they were trying to escape persecution. If they stayed Jewish, if they stayed with the Jewish customs, if they stayed looking Jewish, then they were accepted by the Romans. The Roman government accepted the Judaism, accepted that form of religion as an official form of religion. But if you went to Christianity and Christ alone, and Christ is Lord, not Caesar, Christ is Lord, then persecution came upon you. And so he says one of their motives for giving this message to you is they're trying to escape persecution. They're trying to make you make a compromise to be compliant. A compromise to be compliant. And we live in a world of compromise. There are times that we need to compromise. If you're married, you've compromised, you know, at times... You've compromised, um, not on who you picked. Oh, there, good, got that in there. You compromise. But when we look at the Word of God, there are things that we cannot compromise on. We cannot compromise to become compliant. There are plenty of churches who have. There are plenty of denominations that have. They have compromised on things in the Word of God to become compliant to escape persecution, the pressure of this world. And the churches that 
do not compromise on what God's word says, will feel the pressure of this. They will. And Paul is pointing out in this whole book, one of these things where we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise that our salvation is only in Christ alone. Hello, Devin. I haven't seen you in a while. See, that happens. See, I'm just going to let myself go. And she's got the baby. Can you stand up with the baby? Look at that. Oh, I know. Woo. We're going to dedicate the baby on March, 7th, uh, March 10th, just so you know. Okay. Um, this is an area where you, we cannot, Paul is saying, we cannot compromise. That your salvation is only in Christ alone. It's totally by him. None of your doing. None of anything that you have done. It is only by Christ alone. So that's one of their motives. The second motive we find in verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised obey, obey the law, meaning completely, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Boast about your flesh. So here, uh, they boast in the flesh. That's the flesh side of the equation in 8a. Uh, if you back up a little bit, the, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that sinful nature will reap destruction. That's that side of it. He's saying one of their motivations is not only to escape persecution, but the other one is to elevate themselves. You don't hear humility in their talk. They want to elevate themselves by boasting in the flesh that they have done, you have done what they have said, what they have said. And we see that in that chapter 5, verse 19, when he gives this whole list. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, and there it is. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They were out to protect themselves, and they were out to elevate themselves. Their motive was not love. Their motive was not love. So now he goes to verse 14. He says, okay, here's the opposite side. The difference. May I never boast, Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here's the difference between Paul and the false teacher. Paul only boasts in the cross of Christ. He doesn't boast in himself. He only boasts in what Christ did on the cross. And when he says the world is dead to Paul, and Paul is dead to the world, he says because of what, what Christ did on the cross, there is nothing in this world that even compares to what Christ did on the cross for me. There is nothing that the world can provide and that can offer me. I am dead to it, and it, and, and it is dead to me. Now, I think there are things in our world that creep back into our lives that we need to do that same thing that Paul does and say, no, that's dead to me. No, my answer, the answer, the world does not have the answer. The answer is only Jesus. And when he says this, it's a total surrender. It's a statement of total surrender to Jesus. We have heard this before. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, 
I live by faith in the Son of God. And then this beautiful phrase, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life is to realize that God loved you enough to give his son to die on a cross for you, that he gave himself for you. And in the face of everything in this world, it is dead to me, Paul says. It's dead to me. Verse 15, this is kind of the summary verse of the whole book, of the whole book that we have went through. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Being a Jew or not being a Jew means nothing. We read that uh, a couple weeks ago when he says, uh, neither uh, slave nor free, um, male nor female, Jew or Greek. No, what matters is that you are a new creation. And I, I drew you back to 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. He uses this terminology again. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. That's, that's what happens on the cross. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as through God we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you want to see that again, just check out the marquee out on the, on the road. That's the verse that's out there this week. We, our message, our message to the world, Paul's message to the Galatian Christians, to the Galatian area of Galatia, is Jesus. That's who he's pointing to, and him alone. His message is Jesus. Verse 16, then he says this, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Now, when I saw that it said this rule, that means there must be a that rule. So this rule versus that rule. This rule is salvation comes through Christ alone. That's what this rule is. That rule is salvation is tied to any human act, some other human act. That's that rule. The invitation is given here even to the circumcised who come to Christ. And I read that Romans 9, uh, 1 through 5 already. Um, he wants those who are circumcised, those who are Jews, those who are of his nationality where he came out of, he wants them to turn to Christ. And he gives this invitation out to them, even the Israel of God. But I think it's good to point out that there's a distinction between from the physical and the spiritual that he's been drawing out in this whole book. That there's a physical Israel of God and there's a spiritual Israel of God. There's a physical people of God that through Abraham, but there's also a spiritual people of God 
through faith. So let me just walk back through that a little bit. I, I, I gave you, yeah, 3 7. 3 7 when he says, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Gentile Christians. He's saying, Even you, Gentile Christians, if you believe as Abraham believed in God, are children of Abraham. He's talking about a spiritual family here. Uh, then we go to verse 29, where he says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that was given to Abraham. Given to Abraham. Then if you go to chapter 4, verse 25, he uses Hagar and Sarah as a, an example. He says, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery at, with her children. He says the present city of Jerusalem, the physical city of Jerusalem that they could see. But then in verse 26 he says, but the Jerusalem that is from above is free and she is our mother. That's the spiritual side of it. And I always... You know, we went through 1 Peter, and I keep going back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter's writing to a very similar audience of Gentile Christians in this area when he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All those things were connected to the physical Israel of God, but he's saying, no, this applies to you too if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Paul really wants them to know, these Gentile Christians to know. He wants this invitation that you too can be the Israel of God. The Israel of God. While he calls out to his own nationality. And then verse 17. Um, this is powerful. Finally let no one cause me trouble. It's almost like a personal plea here. Let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And you've probably seen this before, you know, out west and on big ranches and everything. They take a brand and they brand the cattle, and because you see the brand, you know who this beast uh, belongs to, kind of thing. Well, people would brand themselves to identify their gods during that time. People still do this today. They, they have a tattoo or something put on their arm that identifies that they identify with this certain god. Um, we might not tattoo ourselves. We might, might, we might uh, hang symbols or something like that that identifies us with other, with other gods. And Paul says, uh, yeah, I've got some brands on me. But they're not like those brands. And in, I'm not going to read these, but 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10 and 11, 16-31, Paul walks through in those passages of Scripture all the things that has happened to him. He's, how many times he had been persecuted, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, um, we all know the story where he gets beat up so bad they think he's dead 
outside the city, he gets up, uh, somebody gives him aid, he gets up and he goes right back into the city again, kind of thing. And you look at that and you go, wow, what would cause someone to do that? What would cause someone to do that? His motive has got to be love. He has such a great love for the God who sent his son to die on a cross for his sins that he might have forgiveness of his sins, but also a tremendous love for others that others would hear that message, that message of reconciliation that he is giving. So the marks of Jesus are made because we stand for him. The marks of Jesus are not something we put upon ourselves. The marks of Jesus are because we have received those marks, because we have stood for Christ. And he says, remember those marks, the marks of suffering, marks of suffering. And then verse 18, verse 18, um, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be your spirit, brothers, amen. And, and the word brothers here, he has used 10 times uh, in this book um, in the positive. He sometimes talks about uh, false brothers, but that 10 times in the positive when he talks about brothers, and I'm just going to, I'm going to rifle through these. So chapter one, verse two, it says, and all the brothers with me, verse 11 I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that is man-made up. Chapter 3, uh, verse 15, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Chapter 4, verse 12, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I have become like you, and you have done me no wrong. Then verse 28 now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Then verse 31, therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Then if we go to chapter 5, verse 11, brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Then in verse 13, you, my brothers, we're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Then if we go to uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And then we get to this verse right here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Why did I go through that? Because... His method all the way through this is discipleship. He, he wants them to know that we are family. And when he refers to the church family, he calls them brothers. and they, We are walking together through this. So I hope you see in the book of Galatians that his, his message is Jesus. His message is Christ alone. And his motive for giving you that message and who he gave that message to was out of a deep love for God and a deep love for the people he was speaking with. And he didn't just, that love spilled over that I am walking with you through this. I'm walking right along. That's what we call discipleship. When you walk alongside of one another and grow in God's love for, and grow in grace, that, that happened yesterday morning at men's breakfast. That was discipleship. That's the men in the church, about 50 of us got together for men's breakfast. And, and 
and it and we were discipling one another. We we're walking alongside of one another. And you see the method that Paul uses is to say, I, I call you brother because we're we're family. We're family. So let me end it this way, back to the beginning. I, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And um, this is how we started when he gave a simple description of the gospel. Matthew, or Galatians 1, 3 through 5, says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I've shown you this, this slide we have used before, and all I did was I just kind of put in the questions. What is the gospel? The gospel is grace and peace. Grace is something that you have received that you did not deserve. And because you've received this grace, you have also received peace from the one who gives the grace. A tranquility, a right relationship with him. What is the gospel? Who, who, who does this go to, this grace? Who does it go to and who's it given by? Well, this grace has come to you. This grace and peace has come to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it comes from him. How is it given? How did you get this grace? The only way that you got this grace is who gave himself. That Christ gave himself, his very self so that you could have forgiveness of sin, so that you might have a right relationship with Him. Why is it given? Because for our sins to rescue us, because we are sinners. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And so that's why He gave Himself, is to save sinners. Where are we? Well, from this present evil age. We are in a present evil age. We are in a time... We are in a time when Satan it, it abounds and he's drawing people away. And he says, I'm going to rescue you from that. I'm going to rescue you from going to hell so that you can go to heaven. And it's not so much about being in heaven. It's about being with the God who created you. Being with the God who created you. But when is this given? It says, according to the will of our God and Father. It's according to His will. He's the one that opens up our eyes. He's the one that opens up our hearts. He's the one that makes us aware that the guy on the center cross is not just another guy hanging on the cross. The guy in the center cross is my Savior. He's the, he's the only answer to the whole world. And He's the answer to my life. According what's, And then what's our response? What's our response to that? To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our response is to respond to Him. To respond to what He has done. And it, it comes out ultimately in praise, but, but it, there's forgiveness, there's belief, there's confession, there's obedience that all comes out of that. So that's why I put down here, the gospel is to be heard by the unsaved and the saved. The unsaved, I pray, hear the gospel and they respond to this one named Jesus. And they respond with belief and repentance where they're, they're turning and following now after him. They respond with confession. I'm a sinner, Lord. Please forgive me. And he, what does he respond back? You are 
forgiven, you are forgiven, and you rise up in obedience to follow after Him all the days of your life. All the days of your life. But it's also for the saved to hear. We need to hear the gospel. Why? Because we're sheep and we wander at times. And there are things of the world that creep in. And we need to stop and say, wait a minute, wait, I need to crucify that again. I need to crucify that. That's not the answer. My answer is Jesus Christ. And so we need to be reminded over and over again that we have been saved by one who gave himself for our sins. And, and so, uh, Aaron, come on up. So we finish the book of Galatians this morning. And I can't tell you enough how I am so thankful to be able to have walked through that book with you. I will take things away from this and refer back to it many times like I do First and Second Peter um, because it's made such an impression upon my life. It's not something just to teach to you. No, we walk through it together. We walk through it together. So let's, uh, let's stand and let's uh, have a prayer before we sing our final song. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for this beautiful book of Galatians. Thank you that Paul was so single-minded, single-focused to make sure that the people, the Christians, the Gentile Christians knew that their salvation was in nothing else than Christ alone. Lord, I pray that that, that has been cemented into our, our minds and our hearts this morning. And I, we continue to pray to be the messengers of reconciliation that from this place uh, people would hear of Christ alone. Lord, that they would, would hear the message of Jesus. They would hear that message of Jesus out of a motivation of love. That it is coming because we love God and we love others to know of our God. And it comes with a method of discipleship that we, we want to walk together. We want to call you brother or sister. We want to be worship together. We want to be in small group together. We want to have fellowship together and, and, and learn how to be more Christ-like from one another. And so, Lord, may that be the message of WCC. And so I pray this morning that, Lord, if there's anyone here, their eyes have been opened. They realize they have an awareness that you are the Christ. You are the answer. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're, you're the Savior. That, they, that that person, those persons would reach out to you and respond with repentance and belief and following after you all the days of their lives. Lord, to give you all the glory and all the praise. We ask this in your precious holy name. Amen.